Hi, this is Chad. Thank you so much for joining me on this product mastery journey. We are working together to create better products, products that our customers actually love. And that is what it means to be a product master, knowing how to do such things. This episode is sponsored by the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. That's the experience that I put together to actually help groups, teams of product managers and others in organizations accelerate their performance. Typically, it's a product VP that asks for this help. And it's really kind of the care and feeding of the product management group and others involved in product to really improve everyone's performance. We do that as fast as we can. Find out more if it's right for your team at productmasterynow.com RPM. Now, today I want to take a look at product management through the lens of a CEO and a CEO who happens to be involved with a lot of product managers. That has really good perspective, really good view on this. And that CEO that is joining us is Matt Young. He is the CEO of User Voice, the first product feedback and research tool for software companies. Very likely you've come across this as a product person already. If you're not using it in your own products, you've probably been on a website where it is being used. And it is the tool that I see the most, you know, and that is out there. So really glad to learn a little bit more about that as well. Matt started his professional career as a software developer. And throughout his career, he's been pushing for better ways to build software products. As a reminder, everyone, as we talk, we take detailed written notes for everything we discuss. We also create a one-page action guide, one-page PDF that you can read and immediately put into action the key takeaways. You'll find those resources for free at productmasterynow.com slash 397. Matt, thanks for joining us. Hey, Chad, thanks for having me. It's great to be here and really happy to hear that you're doing work to try to up-level the product management game around the world because that's just a constantly evolving discipline that, you know, the more eyes that are on it, the better. Yeah. And the interesting thing about that is it's a long-standing discipline, right? It is evolving. It's still changing all the time. It's interesting to me. I run into product managers that sometimes say, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years, even before anyone knew the term. You know, the, the first professional group was in the 1970s. The, the discipline dates back to the 30s out of P&G. There's actually a big body of knowledge for us to draw upon and someone introduced me to that body of knowledge that is building all the time. And I just found it so valuable that I enjoy sharing it with others too. Oh, that's amazing. That's something I've learned today too. I think <laughs> professionally, I first ran into product management as a term in the late 90s as a replacement mm -hmm. for project management. They still get interchanged quite a bit, uh, in, in, in my opinion, inappropriately. Right. But you know, I, I'm going to have to look at the long history that I'm unaware of. Yeah. And I had no idea either. I was a pro project manager for 10 years doing product work, mm -hmm. right? No idea it existed. So, yeah, I think way back when I got my PMP certification and never thought that there would be something beyond that. And yet here it is a completely different discipline. That's a whole mm -hmm. lot better. Yep. Yep. That was my path to it, too. Just looking for other solutions that project management wasn't giving me. So let's dive into your role there, you know, uh, CEO of User Voice. Because it's user voice, that does give you added insights into product management because you're serving product people often you know, with the product. But I wanted to first ask about product VPs. So the majority of our listeners are product managers, often with quite a few years of experience under their belts already, mm -hmm. and product leaders. And everyone else listening, thank you so very much to for everyone else that is in those roles yet. I'm curious from a CEO perspective, kind of what you expect from a product VP? Yeah, I think that product leaders have a very difficult job. They're often at the, you know, one of the people at the center of an organization, they're taking arrows from sales and success. They're being looked at from the executive team to deliver on 
a vision probably with some not so great information and vague feedback. So I think it's very important to try to be crystal clear with product leadership what their expectations are. And for me, that is that I need them to formulate a product strategy that will help deliver on the company's overall strategy, whatever that might be. In software systems, that's often increasing retention or increasing new business or breaking into a new market or serving a new cohort that's out in the market that you're trying to get some traction with. But I think if the organization as a whole has articulated a clear company strategy, then the primary job of product leadership is to come up with a product strategy that supports that. The second thing I would ask of them is to make sure that they have a way to demonstrate whether their hypotheses are meeting that mark. So if they formulate a product strategy that is intended to drive an increased NPS or CSAT score or something like that, how are they going to tie their activity to that result, knowing that there may be a great number of variables tied to that actual outcome. In the end, you've got a bunch of different departments in the organization working towards that goal. How are they going to isolate what a product team does to support it? So those are the two big things, the strategy that they develop and their ability to measure the effectiveness of that strategy. I very much like the alignment between product and organization, right? It'd be true for all the functions in the organization. That Absolutely should. Yep. And you may have been places where that's not true. I've seen that. <laughs> And it's interesting. Uh, user voice was one of them at, some, okay. at one point. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you came in and, and helped out with that as well. And it's interesting when I have the great honor of working with companies, this is very typical for product people to not actually know these strategy and strategic objectives at the current time of the organization. Yeah, it's very typical. And one thing that you notice is that if you look at engineering and you look at product management and you look at sales and think about what the three most common things that those teams are measured on. In product management, it's usually feature adoption or monthly active users or daily active users. In speaking in software, of course, in engineering, it's velocity of their scrum activities. And in sales, it's you know business generated and deals closed. None of those are kind of aligned with one another in a way that lets those teams work together. That right. kind of puts them at odds with each other, trying to meet their individual metrics, whatever they might be. So that missing overarching strategy and trying to tie how you measure each team to it really puts everyone at a disadvantage to know how they should best spend their time and their energy. Yeah, and it's easy to get unaligned. How do you go about, is unaligned to work, misaligned? Unaligned, yep. yeah. How do you go about communicating strategy to your organization? We do it often. And we try to do it in very actionable ways. One of the things that we do when we get together as an executive team to update our strategy, and we do that every six months, is to role play every department and even every kind of IC title that we have in the organization and try to make sure that when I look at the strategy, all right, what can I do to support this strategy and how can I be confident that what I'm doing contributes. So that's one really important thing. The second thing is to make sure that it is simple and understandable to everyone. It becomes very easy in, on an executive team to start throwing around whatever acronyms your industry may use. And the person who just came out of school with a design degree or who works in support may not know all those things. And a brief explanation of it is not going to make them an expert in it anytime soon. So every time we do a, a company all hands, which is every two weeks, 
we make sure that all of the slides we show re-emphasize the strategy that we've got, the metrics that we're using to track it. And we're trying to celebrate moments where any individual team does something that meaningfully contributes to that goal. So it not only re-emphasizes understanding of what the mission is, but gets people on board with how to achieve the end result that we're looking for. Yeah. And how to support that because you're going to maybe be part of that celebration too in a future all hands. I want those celebrations. Like I think the role of a CEO, a lot of us sometimes falsely, sometimes really feel like we bear the burden of the entire company on our shoulders, but it really is all the people that work at a company that are doing all the work, accomplishing all the accomplishments. And I want them to feel like they are the ones that did it. It's not my triumph. It's not the board of director and investors triumph. It's what they did, their brain power and their professionalism that got us there. Yeah, absolutely. It's the people doing the work day in and day out that push things forward. And the product people are really high, highly leveraged resources. We have a lot of say in what maybe an eight or 10 engineering person team does. And that's a lot of influence over that, you know, that, those resources. I think in its worst case, there are a lot of people who don't sit on the product team who view the product team as sitting in an ivory tower, hmm. that they're, you know, making decisions seemingly without a lot of information. They are perceived as ignoring some of the feedback that they're getting from support, success, engineering, and feel like they're running with their own agenda that isn't necessarily well-researched. It may, in fact, be really well-researched. This may be an actual research problem. It may be a communications problem. It may be a failure to see eye to eye with the difficulty of other people's jobs and having an appreciation for that. There's a lot of examples of misalignment between product teams. And I think it's very understandable given all the things that are dumped on a product manager's plate. They're often asked to do so many different things that you know, do I have to answer this question again? Seems like the last thing that they need in their day. Yeah, yeah, we do. It's challenging to spend our time on those things that are really important that create value for the customers because we often get caught up in those urgent things from our- So industry. many distractions. I want to pick up on the communication thing you just shared a moment ago. It's very common for people at the product level and other levels too, I just happen with product people, right? To not understand what the strategy is or the strategic objectives. And yet when we go talk to a CEO or- the VP is responsible for such things. They're like, what are you talking about? We talk about it all the time. And yeah, in yep. one organization, this was actually an organization going through a large transformation. They had communicated because, you know, an assessment was done and people in the organization said, we don't understand what this, org what this transformation is about. And the CEO said, you gotta be kidding. How can that be? We've communicated in 27 different ways, not just times, different mm -hmm. mechanisms, including sending a box of stuff to every employee's house, you know, <laughs> about this. And what they found was most important was your immediate manager. What your immediate manager mm -hmm. yep. tells you is tends to be what people pay attention to. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think one thing that we've started to do is, you know, we may get into talking about process a little bit later, mm -hmm. but every time we propose a project for our project management team to undertake, the very top thing that we do is a couple of bullets about the company strategy that we think that this initiative would support. And it is, you know, it's whoever's leading that product team or your director of product or VP of product, depending on the size of your company, if they can keep re-emphasizing that to the product team and other leaders in other departments do the same kind of thing. And all of the conversations in the organization are oriented around 
those same goals using the same language, then it starts to stick. I think uh, you know, the idea of sending you a little gift box with a nicely printed card that reminds you what the strategy is and a t-shirt to go with it, that's cool, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to settle into people's you know day-to-day -day brain. It's just got to be ever-present in front of your day-to-day. -day. Yeah, we got to repeat it. And it feels like we're saying it too much, but that's what we need to do. It's a lot like company values. I think a lot of people will print their company values and send them to people in some way. Yep, or paint them on the walls. Yeah, or, or a very nice printed poster or something. It's not until the organization has actually start living those values that they resonate with people. And you can speak about it from experience, not reciting a list of things that were handed to you. Okay. So we talked about, you know, this, we've got a few directions, but, you know, okay, that CEO perspective of product. And I'd like to just expand that a little bit further. You mentioned metrics, you know, for assessing, you know, engineering, for assessing sales, accessing, assessing product roles. From a CEO position, how are you interacting with those functions? What are you monitoring? How are the functional leads working together with you? It's challenging in some places, given that I have an engineering background. They, I probably stick my nose into product and engineering too much, where I don't come from a sales background. So my interference level with sales and marketing is quite a bit lower. And it is challenging for myself and probably for most CEOs to really hand off control and really trust the people you've got leading those disciplines. So what I like to do is every Monday, the heads of each department and organization will produce a report that I ask them to spend no more than 20 minutes on. And one of the reasons I ask for the time box is that if you're spending a lot of time assembling this information, it means you might be too disconnected from the people who are doing the work. If you are having trouble pulling together the metrics, then our systems to produce metrics might not be good enough. But if you can really produce a terse summary of how we're doing and where we're going, that shouldn't take too long. And it should be a good opportunity for you in that role to sit and reflect like, hey, what do I really have a good handle on and what should I dig into? A little bit more. It's just a sanity check to make sure you're doing the rounds and checking in. User Voice is a relatively small company, so I do sit in on some brainstorming discussions, given that we're all working towards the same company goal. Sure. And I, along with some other executives, have some purview into what other teams are thinking about or what they're learning. I'll just try to help brainstorm, but that's nothing more than like scratching my creativity itch. It's not really a necessary function. And I, I hope, even though I know I'm not perceived that way, I try to be as much of a peer in that organization as possible. But really, if you've got really good interconnectedness from team to team, then I don't need to be the one making those connections. We really try to dissuade people from doing this. You talk to your manager and they'll talk to their manager and it'll go up and down this tree until the right people get connected. We shifted to an all remote workforce and it's so much more efficient just to go get on Slack or have a quick Zoom conversation with the person who's in the position that you need the information from. So recognizing that was so valuable, we actually have a product and marketing meeting, a very brief one every week, a product and sales meeting every week, a product and success meeting every week, where they can just talk about what each other is learning, the struggles that they're getting, what they're researching, and what they've learned from the various different interactions they have with our customers. And I think that has been the thing versus any kind of report or oversight structure that creates the you know kind of self-healing networking and self-growing networking that creates the greatest value, at least within our organization. Okay. So a key aspect of that you mentioned was the customer. What are we learning? And implicitly what I took, you know, what can we do next to delight the customer further, right? To add more value for the customer. I will 
put an asterisk on that because yep. I think in product management, we say, we talk about adding value to a customer. And I don't know that that's necessarily precise enough for everyone. There's a lot of ways to add value to the customer, but I think we all need to be a little bit more specific. What is the value we're going to add? What is the problem we're going to solve? So I like to talk about value in the context of the particular problem that we're trying to help people. Okay. So that gives that, that some specific context that we're solving the right problem in a way that actually matters. It does. But uh, you alluded to something that is a huge area of focus for us, which is research. And product teams obviously are known for doing research. They're digging into prototypes and solutions, but every salesperson is doing research every time they do a demo. Every customer success person, when they do a review with people or get asked a question, it's implicitly getting research from people. So we try to make sure that all of that is shared very freely among people because the the way a customer speaks to a salesperson is probably a lot more honest than the way they would speak to a product person who they perceive as presenting something they're emotionally invested in. You might tell a salesperson like, yeah, I see what you're showing me. And like, eh, I'm not that excited about it. Or if a product person comes to you all excited and says, let me show you this prototype for this new feature, you're going to be less inclined to be really critical about it. And you might be sort of lukewarm about it instead. So getting those different perspectives through different roles, we found has been really enlightening to find the truth. Yeah, the different perspectives are very important. There's probably some people listening, and I would include myself in this camp for some period of my career, that sales has a very different perspective for what they're trying to accomplish, right? They have objectives that they're hitting and a different perspective on the product than product people do for sure. They do. I found over time that sales were often some of my most valuable relationships to have because they gave me access to customers. And when they trusted me, that worked really well. I'm curious, how are you bringing that information back and maybe aggregating it, right? Synthesizing it together in a way that is useful for everyone that could benefit from understanding the customer better? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we use our own tool, like user voice does this. <laughs> so thank you for teeing up the shameless plug. But yeah, user voice not only collects feedback from end users, but more than 50% of the feedback that user voice as a whole collects right now is coming from internal team members. So if you're a sales rep and you're in Salesforce and you're doing a demo and someone says, oh, I wish it did X, Y, and Z. We want you to grab that right away. And that way you can, you know, the product team knows about it. They know what kind of potential customer said it, what they might be worth, all this other information that comes along with it. But I think zooming back, any salesperson can relay to you what they've heard and with whatever, you know, degradation happens in the human telephone factor that gets from the salesperson's ear to the product person's ear. Obviously, one interesting thing that's happened with us, we sell to product managers. So our sales team needs to be more astute than a lot of people about product management itself. So we spend time and every opportunity we can bringing our sales team along for the ride to learn about product management and how we do it, how we ask questions, how we learn things. And that the byproduct of that has been that we now get our sales team asking second order, third order questions when a potential customer brings up a feature they want, an objection they've got, a thing that they do or don't like about it. And they can dig in a little bit more. And that's been, I mean, just free research that lands on our plate that takes, in every organization, I think a product management team is overtaxed. It's one less call that we have to make. So we just get the answer right then and there. And I think sales teams really dig it because they feel much more involved in the process by doing that. It's not this adversarial relationship anymore. So listeners... Some of you are exceptionally jealous right now if you caught that, which is your sales team there at User Voice 
is asking some of those why questions and not just blindly yeah. accepting the feature request. Like, yes, you can have the contract if you just do this one thing. And a lot of times that information stops there, right? And yeah. If yep. you have salespeople that are actually doing kind of the product work to say, well, tell me more about, about why you need that. You know, under, when would you use it? You know, why is it an issue for you? That's really powerful. One of the things we do is it's not uncommon for one of our account execs to be doing a demo or on a call with someone and something comes up and they're like, I, this sounds like a reasonable request. And they'll just drop a Slack message and say, hey, anyone on the product management team, can you join this call? I want you to hear this a little bit more. And I think what that does for us is we get immediate, much higher signal feedback about what the sales rep is hearing. Mm -hmm. The sales rep gets to witness how we might ask for further information about this. And not only that, the potential customer comes away with the feeling like, oh, this is a company that does listen right. to what, what their customers say. Like they actually grabbed the product manager right now and, and brought them in here. Yep. Even if they don't become a customer, it leaves them with a good impression. And that that means quite a lot to us because we have a lot of people that work hard and are, you know, really trying to satisfy a need, even, you know, to our negative benefit over making money a lot of the time. Well, it brings a different dimension to the sales process, which I think as engineers and product people, we really appreciate, which is we're actually trying to help solve a problem for the customer and not just push a product on them and collect a check. Totally. Yeah. Another good example of that, when a support ticket comes in, that is something technical. I want to make sure that our engineers are like, okay, to like go pop on a call and help with that. Mm -hmm. I think it, it helps them understand what is the downstream implication of the implementation that we've chosen to make. And they might say, okay, well, I know it's not a product feature, but our API is presenting some challenges to people. And I think we should spend some time making that much easier with a little bit of work. So some of the strategic thinking in product should come from anyone in any role based on the customer experiences they've got. The organizations that I've helped before, we often uncover existing research or information about the customers that different functions just aren't aware of, right? It hasn't been disseminated. That's one issue. The other one is it hasn't really been integrated. Like, are we hearing the same thing, you know, more than, you know, a few times and trying to really capitalize on what we know? And it sounds like both user voice as a tool and as a company is doing a better job with that because you're, you said you're, most of the requests are coming internally, you know, that you're collecting some of this information. How does that connect to roadmap work, right? And what are your thoughts on product roadmaps? And boy, this could be a whole another podcast episode, but. It certainly could. For those of us who are of a certain age, you say the word roadmap and it might inspire some negative feelings. If I look objectively at the word roadmap, I think because people have arguments about roadmaps a lot of the time. And that's, I think, maybe one of the things that I have way in the past associated with it. For us, a roadmap is nothing more than a really terse summary of what we're doing. What's the current manifestation of the product strategy as it will support the business goals? One thing that we do that's pretty interesting is that we don't keep a backlog. Every eight weeks, we use Basecamp's ShapeUp methodology for software development. So every eight weeks, we start with a blank sheet of paper. And that doesn't mean that old ideas can't come up again and be rehashed, but we want to make sure that we are truly embracing the goal of Agile, which is to do the thing that is the most valuable at any given time. And doing that means not you know, anchoring yourself with, oh, we should have done that last time. Well, 
and maybe we should have if it was the most valuable thing to do and if we still think the most valuable thing to do. And since we started doing this, it's really surprising how often you find that like this thing that I thought that we were going to do next, we don't actually end up doing next because the research doesn't justify that as the next most valuable thing, both for our customers and against our business goals. So we start with a blank sheet of paper. We brainstorm ideas that are focused on problems. What are the problems that we want to solve? They're not oriented around solutions. Uh, we try to involve the sales team, the success team, the support team as much as possible in contributing to that list, in getting their thoughts about the top level ideas. And then we get started researching them. The roadmap that we produce ends up being the list of things that we decided to bet on from the great big list of ideas that we came up and researched. And there's a lot of nuance to along the way we put things above the line and below the line and kick things out. And this is like a whole eight week process running coincidentally with a development cycle. But by the end of eight weeks, we now feel like we didn't have this two week rush to craft a next sprint. We didn't have to decide what we were going to do for half a year. Like it's very hard to have that kind of visibility, but eight weeks seems like a really healthy amount of time to do some lightweight work on a lot of things and some deep work on a few things and come to a conclusion that everyone who's working on the product, everyone who's going to have to market it and sell it really feels good about. It's it's been vetted. And if we were wrong and we learn from it and try to take that information into the next cycle and just make it better. But we use all the traditional sources of research. We use our own product and the feedback that we get. We do a lot of interviews with customers competitive analysis, all the different stuff that product managers are used to doing to try to assess the value of any particular initiative. Okay. So, so many great things to dive into and maybe we should do a, if you want to come back sometime, we'll do a deeper dive on how you guys talk about roadmaps. Yeah. Work through that. So <laughs> briefly in the, in your eight week process, are you executing in shorter sprints or are you defining, you know, here is what is on our to-do list for the eight weeks and the, the team executes on that? Yeah. The way Basecamp describes this is that you create pitches, not tasks. So a pitch is basically a problem and a solution that you have in, they call it a fat marker sketch. Like that's the level of fidelity. Imagine taking like a really big Sharpie and that's like the level of detail you give to the solution that you're going to draw out. And you talk primarily about what the outcomes should be, what an end user should be able to accomplish in terms of the business function that you're trying to solve. And you decide whether you're willing to spend two weeks on that or you're willing to spend six weeks on that. There's no four weeks, there's no one week, there's no five weeks. And I think the reason for that is that it's very easy for us as humans to say the distinction between a two-week piece of work and a six-week piece of work is stark. But the difference between a two-week piece of work and a three-week piece of work is like, eh, you know, it's harder to estimate that accurately. So within that eight-week cycle, it's basically six weeks of work and two weeks of cool down. And that's where engineers get a chance to go learn to new technology, fix bugs, re refactor things, re-architect things. Within those six weeks, the contract between, well, we don't divide our engineering team and product team apart. They're reporting in through the same structure mm -hmm. at this point. Their task is just to deliver on those pitches. I don't care what order they're in. I don't care if teams are reshuffling themselves, it's meant to say, we know what our goals are to deliver as a team. How can we best organize ourselves to get that done? It helps account for people who go on maternity leave and vacation or are sick. And when someone gets tired of something and they'd rather someone else work on it, it really creates a better environment, at least for us, it has for self-organizing teams that can find a, a sustainable way to keep working and working. 
really good information, more questions I would love to explore. And maybe we'll have an opportunity to do that again in the future, but share great information with us. And hopefully listeners have found it insightful too, and causing us all to spin our wheels a little bit and think about how we can be more effective in the product work we're doing and the others that we work with as well. From our discussion so far, it would strike me that user voice is committed to innovation. You're committed to improving things, right? And you're learning internally and taking that external feedback, which actually would put you in the minority of CEOs. <laughs> There's these, you know, these research studies that come out from time to time that basically ask CEOs, you know, how important is innovation to you? And almost all of them say, yes, KPMG did one of these recently. And two thirds of them said, you know, innovation is how we're going to increase our business and we're going to invest in, in, in innovation processes. And 30% of them are actually, you know, expecting innovation to do that right. They're taking it seriously. There's other surveys that put the number that, yes, it's really important to us. It's a really high number. And the people taking action is really low, right? But I get to do that. This podcast is made possible because I love having fascinating conversations. But the RPM experience that I do also helps to compensate for the time and cost of the podcast. And the RPM experience is the rapid product mastery experience. And this is how I help organizations do a better job actually innovating. And it's typically directly with product managers, but it's happened at the executive level. It's happened at the director, VP, you know, function kind of level. And we spend nine weeks, 75 minutes a week, going through a body of knowledge framework and really understanding what these processes are, how to work better together, how to collaborate, how to trust each other more. And we end up in a really good place after nine weeks. So once again, if people want to find out more about that, just go to productmasterynow.com slash RPM. So Matt, we also like innovation quotes around here. I've heard, I've heard this, that you like innovation quotes. The, 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 there are a few, actually, like every time. What did you bring for us and what does it mean to you? Yeah, I brought you a quote. You know, my first love is computer science. I'm a software engineer before software engineers were a thing. We were computer programmers when I first got started and we were the... I'm in the pocket protector, you know, glasses with tape on them generation. So the early pioneers in computer science, uh, Ada Lovelace, Charles Babbage, Alan Turing. I was even fortunate enough to be a TA for Fred Brooks, who wrote The Mythical Man Month right. in while I was in graduate school at UNC. Alan Turing, I think, you know, has fortunately gotten some of his due in recent years through the movie. And, you know, I think he's recognized on some currency in the UK now. But he has a quote that said, if a machine is expected to be infallible, it cannot also be intelligent. And he was, of course, talking about artificial intelligence and the way that, that computers could replicate intelligence eventually. But that one's always stuck with me because I think often a lot of organizations give lip service to the notion of saying we learn from failure or it's okay to fail or right. any one of those things. But I really believe it. Yeah. I think if you don't land flat on your face every now and then, you're not pushing hard enough. You're not learning enough. So I just don't think that we evolve. And to me, intelligence is your ability to assimilate information, synthesize new stuff, and come up with something innovative from it. And in order to do that, we need to try things that don't work and see how we react to them. And I think that we always come back stronger for it. So that one is really part of my philosophy in the way that I run my business and the way that we approach product management. 
Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that quote. I think it's the first time that one's been shared with us, which is saying something. We have a lot of repeat quotes, and this is unique. It does convey well, rather elegantly, that notion that innovation requires learning. And in the context of doing anything new, we're going to make mistakes and, in a sense, fail along the way. And it gets us to a much better place. Thank you for sharing that with us. You're welcome. I go Alan Turing. I wish he was still around. Yep. A lot of good contributions to computer science. How can people find out more about user voice and anything else that you want to share in terms of the work that you guys are doing? Oh, sure. Uservoice.com. If you want to learn about our products and services, there's free trials for everything that we offer. If you don't want to talk to a human being, that's just fine. I'm introverted and often prefer that approach. So that's totally okay. If you're a person who likes to talk, I always make my door available to anyone. I think it would be very hypocritical of me to say that I didn't want feedback about anything that we do, given that we're a product feedback company. So my email address is matt at uservoice.com. Whether it's product management, the way we do engineering with ShapeUp, we're also doing a four-day work week at UserVoice now. So if that's a thing that you're considering for your company and are thinking about, happy to share with you how we went about setting that up and how it's going. Thank you for sharing that. And just for a little context, because I suspect most of the product people have heard about UserVoice, but there are a couple of different big products to UserVoice. Can you just review briefly with us how you know what the problems are that you're solving? Yeah, really, we've consolidated it to only two products at this point. We have a very lightweight product called User Voice Validation. That's a new product that we've put out that's meant to be a really easy thing to use when you just need some quick feedback about a few ideas that you're batting around. And our flagship product is called User Voice Discovery, and it covers product feedback collection from both external and internal teams, bringing in all kinds of quantitative information to marry with that feedback so you can look at what the most desirable features are by segment, by account, by potential revenue, all kinds of communication tools to help you ask further questions of customers, set up interviews, set up beta participants, and some internal alignment tools to help show an internal roadmap, You know, let people on the team see what you're working on and how they might provide some feedback about that stuff, even internally too. All sounds pretty valuable to us product managers. So once again- That should be. Yes. <laughs> once again, Matt, thank you for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. It was a lot of fun. And listeners, remember, if you want that written summary of anything we talked about and the one-page action guide to help you put into action the key takeaways, simply go to productmasterynow.com slash 397. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.